Well, we've been making our way through this series called Stan, um, across all our services, where we're looking at the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. We're looking at these five different stories that all speak to this idea of standing. And so today we're going to talk about standing strong. And if you've been around for any part of the series, uh, or if you grew up in church at all, there's a good chance that at some point you figured, hey, there, there are two stories we're almost certainly going to cover in this series. Uh, one being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, that will be in two weeks to finish the series. So that one's coming. And the other one you almost certainly would think of is Daniel and the lion's den. And so that's today. I would consider this one of the truly classic stories of the Bible. And for some reason, I tend to, because I grew up in the church doing the Sunday school thing, I typically think of the ones that seem to make the rounds in Sunday school the most, maybe even like every year. I tend to think of those as the true classics when it comes to Bible stories. But that brought this to mind. Some of those classic stories might be a little bit heavy for kids if we really take them for what they are. I mean, we, we dress them up a little bit, and we, we tell the story in a kid's class, and we focus on the happy ending. But think about some of the stories we teach kids from the Bible, and I'll be testing your Bible knowledge a little bit by how you react to these. But think about Noah and his ark. We tell that story to kids. We decorate baby nurseries with it. We used to have a classroom here at the church decorated with, with that theme. But God wiped everybody off the earth, except for Noah and his family. I mean, everybody died except for Noah and his family. Everybody, in fact, drowned <laughs> except for Noah and his family. And I, I don't know about you, but on my list of ways I wish not to die, drowning is pretty high because that idea is just scary. But it, it, we focus on the boat and we focus on the animals two by two and we say, oh, this is a good, good story. But almost everybody died. Or Samson. I'll tell you what, Samson's life was a bit like a soap opera, and most of us wouldn't let our kids watch a soap opera. And we focus on Samson being this super strong guy, and we focus on how God wins in the end of his story. But in truth, Samson has these glaring weaknesses that jeopardize his ability to do what God has called him to do. He has a weakness for women that he just can't keep under control. And he falls out of favor with God. He ends up captive. He ends up severely debilitated. And in the end, his final act for God is he knocks down a building, killing a bunch of people. It's a heavy story. It's a deep story. We dress it up and we tell it to kids, but it's, it's heavy. And we tell kids the Daniel story too. And we talk about Daniel being a, a handsome young man. And, and there's these lions that in, in the story we tell kids are a lot more like kittens than lions. And, and, and these lions, they kind of cuddle up to Daniel. In fact, my favorite version of the story that some people tell is is this idea that Daniel might have used the lion as a pillow, which is ridiculous, but I guess it could have happened. And it kind of ends up, look, kind of ends up, ends up looking like this. And so we get this cartoon image in our head of Daniel and the lions. Then the Daniel's just chilling, and the lions are smiling, and they're happy, and everybody's just hanging out. But I would suggest that, that that's probably not even close to the reality of the situation. Based on this picture alone, first of all, at this point in time, Daniel is probably somewhere in his 80s. We started at the beginning of the book of Daniel, and we did a couple weeks ago, and we know at that point he's quite young, probably a teenager. But then as we read further into the stories, I don't know what it is, but we don't always allow our minds to let Daniel age along with the actual stories, but he does. And so at this point, he's been walking with God while still in Babylonian captivity for decades, probably in his 80s. And additionally, the lions, they don't look like kittens. They're not smiling. We know that. I don't fear cats. I also don't like cats. If you like cats, don't take that as offensive. I had somebody offer me a cat after second service. I thought that was kind of strange. Um, I'm not a cat person, but I'm also not afraid of them. 
But if I ran into a lion, I would be afraid. There is a difference here. Lions need to be, there needs to be a barrier between me and them, or I'm going to be afraid of them. And so it's important to understand, that's what we're talking about here, real lions. And so today what we want to do is dig a little deeper with this story than maybe we typically would. And so we'll start with a little bit of the history, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, which is uh, in your bulletin, if you got one, or if it's on the screen as well, or if you brought a Bible or have the Bible app or something like that. If you want to go to Daniel 6, that's pretty much where we're going to hang out today. And so we actually see, as we see Daniel here serving under a different king, <clears throat> that's the other thing is we forget how much time has passed in these stories. When Daniel goes into captivity, uh, in Babylonian captivity, he is under King Nebuchadnezzar. But this is now actually the third king that Daniel serves under. This is King Darius. And what's interesting about King Darius is historically he is known as a master administrator, a bit of a genius in the area of administration. And so King Darius comes to power and he immediately takes the kingdom of Babylon, which is vast, and he divides it into 120 provinces. And he puts one leader in charge of each province. So he divides the ruling. And these leaders are known as satraps, which basically is a word that means kingdom protector. And so he puts them in charge of those areas. And instead of Darius trying to personally rule every part of this vast empire, he has this division of labor, division of responsibility. And then on top of that, he says, 120 is a lot of guys to keep track of. I'm going to put three administrators over top of the 20, 120 satraps. And one of those administrators happened to be Daniel. We cannot overstate how respected Daniel was in Babylon. That from king to king, Daniel, who was not even Babylonian, was seen as someone who could be trusted, was seen as a leader, and continues that. And so what these administrators, these three guys, were mostly responsible for was protecting against rebellion, levying taxes, and guarding the financial affairs of the nation. Basically, if the nation was safe and prosperous, those three guys were doing their jobs. And so we read this in Daniel 6, chapter 1, or verse 1, sorry. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So again, I think we have to stop and talk about Daniel here because I'm not sure that any of us could have done what Daniel did. Throughout his life, most of his life here, he has gone the extra mile for the kingdom that destroyed his home, that took him from his home. And, and, and he served that nation that destroyed his nation. And while he did it, he, he didn't turn his back on the one true God. He is assimilated to Babylonian life. He is, he is a member of Babylonian leadership. And he hasn't turned his back on God. It's amazing. I, I don't think that very many of us could have done that. And it's, it's such that Darius has decided Daniel even should be my second in command. This is a good day for Daniel. It's a promotion, and Daniel still serves the one true God. So here he is serving the one true God and in a position of influence in Babylon. And this is good stuff. But in truth, what looks to us like a promotion brings a lot of trouble for Daniel because remember, there were three administrators placed over the satraps. And if you're one of three people over 120, that's a position of power. But if one of the three gets a promotion and the others don't, more times than not, the other two will be jealous. And this story is no different. And they decide that 
they don't like what's going on here, and they decide that they're going to take Daniel out. They're going to falsely accuse him of some things. They're going to set him up to get him in trouble. They're going to destroy him, whatever it takes. And as we work through the story, what you'll see is the same Daniel who has stayed so true to God through his whole life, even though he was in Babylon, stands strong in the face of everything that comes his way. And hopefully along the way, what we can do is we can pull some truths from that. That's how we can also stand strong. The first one is this. When God raises you up, the truth is we should expect people to tear us down. And I know that that sounds pessimistic, and I I know that it kind of makes me sound like a fatalist, and I get that, but it's also true that when God raises you up, people will tear you down. It's true in everyday life. It's it's true in our our spiritual lives. Think about everyday life for a second. If If you get a promotion at work, is everyone there excited for you? Every single person there excited for you? Or is there most likely someone who will say, ah, I don't know that they deserve that? Or, oh, why wasn't it me? There most likely will be somebody who's got an issue with it. And maybe they're jealous, maybe they really don't think you deserve it, but but you're raised up and then people try to tear you down. Or maybe you you feel like God's calling you to to do something new. You feel like God's telling you, "I, I need to make some changes in my life. And Maybe it's something small, maybe it's something big, maybe it's something way out of your box. Maybe you feel like God's calling you to, to get out of debt or to change the way you allocate your time to, to better serve your family and God. Maybe God's calling you to do something that's very countercultural. Maybe God's calling you to, to quit a job, to go do something for him. And you want to do what God calls you to do, but the truth is most of the time what you'll find is there will always be people who will criticize, who will question that, will say, was that really God? Did he really say that? Did he really ask you to do that? Did he really call you to that? Is that really what he wants? You're raised up and people tear you down. I've heard that in Australia and the UK, they call this, they call this idea poppy syndrome. Um, I read it on the internet, so I know it's true. Uh, basically, whenever a poppy plant grows tall, too tall, other poppy plants will chop it down. They will snuff it out at the base. In the US, you'll hear it called crab syndrome. I heard this is true, too. If you get a bucket of crabs, some of you are going to want to try this. If you get a bucket of live crabs... If one tries to escape, one tries to climb up out of the bucket, the others will reach up and pull it back down. It's like, you can't be free if I'm not free. And that's what happens when God raises us up. A lot of times people will tear us back down or try to. And this is what happens to Daniel in verses 4 and 5. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful always responsible, and completely trustworthy. See, they tried to go about it the the easy way, which was, hey, if we can just find a mistake he made, if we can just find something he's done wrong, it'll be easy. We bump him out, no problem. You couldn't find anything. So verse 5 says this, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Sometimes those of us who follow Jesus, sometimes we, we think that we're, if we're doing what God is calling us to do, there shouldn't be any opposition. That if we're following Jesus, the path should be clear and easy. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, God, you wanted me to do this. Why would you allow there to be opposition? The, the truth is, Scripture is very clear that it's not supposed to be that easy. You can find in Scripture many references to that, many references to the fact that, the, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world. And the truth is, When you're moving forward for the kingdom, when you're moving forward with God, we should expect that Satan not be okay with that. And that he'll use people, even well-meaning people, to present opposition to that. It happens. 
Pastor Craig Rochelle said it this way. I couldn't have said it any better than he did, so here you go. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you are not ready to be used by God. That's heavy, and it's also true. We can be bothered by the opposition. We don't even necessarily have to embrace it, but, but, but it shouldn't stop us from moving forward because it should be expected. And if we're facing opposition and, and our seeking of God, it probably means that we're on the right path. Daniel, he has, for years, continued to stand out. He's continued to stand up. He's continued to stay faithful to his God. They couldn't find anything he was doing that was wrong, and yet they were still opposing him. So what happens, if you read the story, is these two administrators, they go and they butter up the king. And they do this by playing to his God complex that seems to come naturally with being a king, with being a ruler. In verse 6 and following, So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law, so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. We could say that kings are often very vulnerable to pride, but the truth is we as humans are often very vulnerable to our pride. And in this case, Darius, he's open to the idea of being deified, of being made godlike by having the people only pray to him for months. And the reason this was such a good plan, and it was, listen, we, we cannot deny that this was a great plan. The reason this was such a good plan was because the other administrators knew for a fact that Daniel was a man of faithful prayer. They knew that this decree would hit him directly. And here's the thing. I wonder if somebody made a decree like that today, when it comes to you and I, would people worry about us? Because they know that we are people of prayer. Or would they say, actually, they'll probably be okay because I'm not sure how much prayer means to them. These guys knew. It didn't matter what anybody said, even the king. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was going to keep praying and praying and praying and praying every single day. He's going to keep praying. Now we know how the story ends, most of us, but let's remember these lions are not kittens. And let's remember that when the king makes a law, a decree like this, it cannot be changed. So Daniel has choices. He has three options. His first one is this. He could stop praying. And I, I think a lot of us would go this route. And I don't think a lot of us would blame Daniel if he went this route. He's around 80 years old. It'd have been really easy to say, God, I've been praying to you for 80 years. 30 days off is probably okay. He could have even justified it further by saying, well, I'm a lot more good to God alive than I am dead. He could have stopped. The second option he had is he could have faked it. He could have prayed silently. He could have prayed as secretly as possible. You know, if he's sitting there with his eyes closed and his hands folded, somebody says, Daniel, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm just thinking. Or oh, I, was just, I fell asleep there for a second. Didn't have to tell anybody that he was praying. Or his third option was to keep praying and risk death. Which is the choice that he decided on. He was willing to keep praying because his faith was that strong, because prayer was that much of who he was. You have to wonder... 
knowing that this would lead to death, knowing that, that he was probably going to die for this, what, what gives him the strength to continue to pray? Well, it kind of comes with the second piece of information I want to make sure we understand about standing strong, which is this. Kneeling to pray is what gives you the strength to stand. The reason that he was able to be strong in this moment, I believe a good chunk of it was because of his existing prayer life. Because prayer had always been important to him. So he already had that foundation. He already had that backup. He was fine. And so he just kept praying. In fact, here's what we read in verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room, with its windows open toward Jerusalem. For Daniel, when it came to prayer, it didn't matter what the king said. It was business as usual. I'm going to keep praying. As he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. For us, our first response to trials is often to panic. But maybe we need to be a little bit more like Daniel. In response to this trial, he, he went home and he prayed. Even though that was probably the most dangerous thing he could do in that moment, he went home and prayed. And he continued his prayer life exactly like it was prior to the decree. And for us, you know, we don't have that same law, that same decree in place, and yet prayer is rarely our first response to a crisis, to a trial. We try to fix things ourselves. We, we try to control the situation. We ask other people for help. We do everything we can. And then we say, well, I guess all I can do now is pray. And I get that sentiment, but it's backwards. What we really should be saying is, hey, we can pray. In every situation, we can pray. We can come before the throne of God. We can, we have access to the creator of the universe. We, we can talk to him. We have an audience with him. We can petition him to intervene in our trials. He hears our cries. So it's not, I guess, all I can do now is pray. It's we can pray. And notice that Daniel doesn't announce his prayers or make a public show. He just does what he's always done. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about with Daniel two weeks ago. That so much of Daniel's success in life and in spiritual things was based upon his pre-decisions. He knew what lines he wouldn't cross. He knew what things he was willing to do. He knew what he wasn't willing to do. And he stood firm in those things. And by pre-deciding in the moments where those issues came up, he didn't hem and haw. He didn't question it. He didn't struggle with temptation. He stood out and he stood firm and he stood strong in the face of whatever it was. And for Daniel, prayer was a pre-decision. It was a part of who he was. It was a base within him. That daily, three times from what we read here, that Daniel was going to communicate with God no matter what. And because it was a pre-decision, nothing, not even the decree of the king, could change that for him. Nothing. For us, if we, haven't if we don't have a predetermined plan to get to know God on a deeper level, if we haven't decided that's something we're going to do, we probably won't. We need to decide that prayer and that studying His Word, those kinds of things are important. And when we make those predecisions, we're more likely to follow through. If Daniel's prayer life was shaky before this happened, he probably would have stopped praying. But it wasn't. Daniel's faith could have been shaken here. It probably should have been shaken here. This was a direct attack on Daniel, and he knew it. This decree was meant for him. This was the law that was put into place to get him specifically thrown into a lion's den. If that doesn't shake your faith, I don't know what will. But because prayer was a part of who he was and how he lived, he knelt and he prayed. Kneeling to pray was what gave him the strength to continue to stand. 
But then here's where this can get kind of tough if we really think about it. As we read through Scripture, there are people who showed that same kind of faith who weren't rescued. Like that not every one of these stories from Scripture turns out uh, like a Disney movie. If so, there would be a big musical number with Daniel and the lions, and they'd be singing and dancing and all that kind of stuff. This was a serious situation. This was, this was a real-life situation with a sovereign God whose ways are higher than ours, so we don't always understand the results. God does things that don't make sense to us. And so I, I can't promise you that if you take a stand, that you're not going to face consequences. I can't promise you that if you take a stand, someone's not going to go against you. I can't promise you that if you take a stand, you won't end up hurt or worse. It is possible. The only promise I really can share is the third thing we need to understand today, which is when you do what's right, you can always trust God with the results. It doesn't say when you do what's right, you always get what you want. It doesn't say when you do what's right, you always get the answer you want. None of that. But, but we can always trust God with the results, whatever they are. You see, the part of this story that might be the most difficult for us to understand is that Daniel didn't know the end of the story when he was in the middle of it. He didn't know he'd be a Sunday school lesson for centuries to come. He didn't know whether or not he would survive this. He didn't know whether or not the lions would tear him up. All he knew was that for 80 years, God had been faithful to him. And in this moment, he wasn't going to stop being faithful to God. There was no negotiation. There were no ifs, ands, or buts. There was no, this isn't fair. God was faithful to him, and so he was faithful to God. And I honestly believe that if you could have asked Daniel in that moment, does your trust in God in this situation depend at all on the outcome? He would say no. If I live, I trust God. If I die, I trust God. See, so often, our trust in God and our willingness to do things for God, we make it dependent on what God has done for us or what God might do for us. We say, well, God, if you just come through on this, I'd be willing to do this a little better or do this a little more or do this a little differently. I firmly believe from what we see of Daniel here, his trust comes before any of this that's happening. And here's the thing. King Darius, he was devastated because he liked Daniel. Most people did. And the king was mad because he was tricked. Two, two other, I mean, listen, we talk about how much he trusted Daniel. He clearly trusted these other two administrators too or he wouldn't have put them in those positions and may have betrayed him by tricking him. He could try to undo it, but he can't because that's the way it worked. He signed it. He'd given his word. It was ironclad. This was the law. And so the king, he refuses to eat, and he refuses to be entertained, and he goes to his palace to fast and to wait. Now, we don't get to know exactly what happens in the lines, Then that's probably why we've kind of gotten creative with it over time. We don't know what the lions did. We don't know for sure what Daniel did, although my guess is he prayed a lot. We don't know for sure what Daniel did, you know, upon entering. We don't know what Daniel did all night long. We don't know any of that. We don't know how scared he was, but my guess is he was. We don't, we, we, could he have used the lion as a pillow? Absolutely. We don't know. But we do know this, verse 19 and following. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Now this, this if nothing else, shows us what King Darius really thought about Daniel. When we got there, he called out in anguish, basically fearing the worst. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. 
king was overjoyed and ordered Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And just in case anybody would want to suggest that maybe these were tame lions that wouldn't hurt anyone, if you keep reading in Daniel, you find out that the king had the other two administrators and their families thrown into the lion's den, and they didn't survive. Daniel was faithful to God, and God was faithful to Daniel. And so we need to understand that if we're facing some sort of opposition, and I know it's not the same. I know you're probably never going to face anything that is like this. But we all face opposition when we try to move toward God. We need to remember that when God raises us up, people will try to tear us down. It's part of the deal. If we're going to grow, if we're going to lead, if we're going to move forward in our relationship with God, it's going to be a part of it. But at the same time, we need to remember that if we are facing that opposition for our obedience to God, it probably means we're on the right track. If we're not facing any opposition, we may not be following God very closely. And God will continue to raise us up, and people continue to carry us down, but kneeling to pray will be a huge plus in our favor. It'll give us the strength to stand. We can continue to do what's right, even when it's not popular, because when we do what's right, we can always trust. God's results. Again, it's not we can always trust that God will give us what we want or answer the way we want, but we can always trust God with the results. Here's what I think about Daniel. I think that honestly, Daniel was prepared to die if that's what God had for him in this moment. I don't think he was necessarily counting on God to specifically save him. God was going to be in this somewhere. But I think Daniel was ready to die if that's what needed to happen. I think Daniel said, God, I trust you if you need me on this earth longer. I trust you if this is my time. And that's a tough place to get to. And yet, we can always trust God with the results, which is fine with me because I've let myself down a lot more times than God has ever let me down. Daniel understood there was something beyond this world. And, and I think that's what we need to understand. It, it's not easy to stand strong in this world. In fact, it's getting harder and harder but it is easier when we remember that this world is temporary and that God has something greater for us in heaven, that he has made a way through Jesus for us to be able to spend eternity with him. We understand that it's easier to stand strong in this life, especially with God in our corner. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word, for these stories that have, have survived the generations, for us to be able to, to read these stories together and learn from them, to learn more about you and learn more how we should live. God, I pray that when we are challenged by your word, that it wouldn't be just something that we read, but that it would be something that would move us to action. God, when we face opposition, when we're striving to follow you and we face opposition, I pray that you would help us to stand strong, that we wouldn't neglect the amazing gift of prayer to be able to communicate with you, that we, that we would rely on you in that way. And God, we believe that in those moments you'll give us the strength to stand. God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray you would help us to remember what you did for us when you sent Jesus to this earth, to, to walk this earth, to die on a cross for our sins, to deal with something we weren't going to be able to deal with, our sin, so that we could be with you for eternity. God, help us to focus on that as we take communion together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing one more song together, and as we do that, um, we're going to invite you at any point during the song that you're ready to come forward. The, the bread is there on the table to represent the body of Jesus, and the cup is there to represent his blood. And so whenever you're ready, we invite you to come and take.